Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. Survive. Thrive. Stay alive. It's time to get prepared with the Prepping Academy Podcast. Dr. Arthur Bradley. Dr. Arthur Bradley, I met you at an event called Heritage Life Skills in, was it 1987? I mean, I don't think no, that was 2018 or 19. Yeah. Around there, I think around there. So met you there and you were, you were, and I knew all about you. And then you taught this crazy class of building like Faraday cages. And I'm like, who is this guy? This guy, does he know what he's talking about? And come to find out, you seem to know a little bit. Yeah, I know a little bit. <laughs> and so you're you're an, you're an author, you're a consultant as well, big time consultant. You're a NASA. I mean, you literally work for NASA. People have accused me of being a rocket NASA rocket scientist, but I'm not. I just want yeah, everybody. I'm surprised. To- <laughs> I'm surprised they accuse you of that. <laughs> and so, um, so if you don't mind, tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about yourself, and then. End it maybe with your book series um, and, um, and and your book so we can know, you know, what they're about. Sure. Yeah. First, let me say, I didn't realize your show was so entertaining. <laughs> I, oh. was, I was cracking up back in the back room. There. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm mediocre. So I try to throw as much humor as I can to make it somewhat worthwhile for people. Yeah, that's yeah, great. So uh, yeah, a little bit about me. Um, yeah, we met, I don't know, probably five years ago at, at the conference, the Heritage Life Skills Conference. But um, I've been in the disaster community, I don't know, probably 10 years or 12 years, something like that. I've written a number of books. Uh, my first book was The Handbook to Practical Disaster Preparedness for the Family, which is a mouthful. But if you just search disaster preparedness, my book will pop up somewhere. Um, and it's a big volume of a whole bunch of different topics from food, water, shelter, electricity, just kind of a whole smorgasbord of preparedness topics. Um, I researched that book in preparation sort of when I was trying to get my family ready, um, you know, after 9-11 and all these other threats we had, I thought I really need to get more serious about this. So I did a lot of research and wrote what I thought was a pretty good book on it. Um, And then that led to some other books, a book on EMP preparedness. I know a lot about electronics and electromagnetics just from my profession. Um, and then I wrote a series, uh, 12 book series, actually, uh, called wow, the Survivalist. Okay. Yep. 12 books. Um, and it did great. Lots and lots of people became followers of that series. Um, it wrapped up, oh, I guess it's been two or years ago or so I finished it up, may pick it back up. A lot of people have written and said, Hey, just a few more, maybe. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but it's a fun story. It's actually about a pandemic that was before COVID, so it didn't didn't take that. But it was a pandemic that kills off a lot of people. Um, it's about a U.S. marshal who kind of wanders around setting things right, um, sort of his own brand of justice. It's a it's a fun story. Uh, it's the kind of story I like to read, and uh, it's very lighthearted uh, in terms of entertaining wise. Um, so anyway, that that's the Survivalist series. Uh, my day job, as you said, I work at NASA. 
Uh, my appearance here is not related to NASA, <laughs> just so everybody <laughs> knows that. Um, but yeah, I, I work there. I'm the branch head of an electronics branch where we build a lot of satellite systems and various kinds of electronics. Um, so that's my day job. I also teach uh, electronics at various places. Um, I stay very busy with consulting, usually about EMP attacks, electromagnetic stuff. Um, a lot of people out there worried about it and they'll bring me in and try and check their protections that they have and give them some advice, maybe make some measurements, that kind of thing. So I stay pretty busy, um, go on YouTube channels and talk about stuff too. Just, uh, I like talking to other people and getting questions from people. I, I don't mind any kind of question of any sort. So I might not always know the answer, but I'm willing to hear the questions. But wouldn't you say you're the smartest man in the room right now? I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only person in this room right now. So. But you you are considered by many folks, probably including NASA, that you're not representing NASA as being one of the leading experts on um, EMF, EMP, and CME. Would you agree with that? I think, that, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, that's all we have. I appreciate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. So I told you. So I was going to ask you some basic questions, and I'm going to save. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to save some. I'm going to save them for the end. I'm going to make people wait. What you think? What's going to happen to cars and phones and homes and pacemakers and that kind of stuff? But um, so um. So electronic warfare, it seems to me that you are also, I'm not going to, you may be an expert, but you are definitely a history buff of electronic warfare in different ways. Am I, am I right when I say that? I'm interested in the subject. So I've done some research into where it's been used and how effective it is. And, you know, there's a lot of misinformation around this kind of stuff. So I try and sort through the fact from fiction, make sense of it. Yeah. So electronics, you know, just to remind everyone in the audience, we have not had an EMP yet. So your electronics still work. Okay. Because I know everybody could just tune us out and go, well, EMP is going to take care of all this kind of stuff. But it hadn't happened yet. So I do have a question for you, though, because I remember this, but since you, and I know you know stuff on this, uh, and I want to know the details. Um, we had an embassy where some of our people were getting sick mm -hmm. and we felt that some people felt that there was, uh, they, I forgot what country that was in, but we, they felt that it was like electric, it was like in the sense, almost like terrorism against our employees. Do you know what I'm talking about there? You're probably talking about Havana, Cuba is my guess. Um, we had something called the Havana syndrome, which there was a big report on, oh, I don't know, a few months back. You know, they did a multi-year investigation of it, but it's a fascinating story. I mean, they, what a neat movie could be made on this because it's, so, it's such a mystery. Now, basically, you had people in the embassy who were experiencing very unusual symptoms, um, you know, powerful headaches. Um, they started developing hearing problems. They started getting concussions. I mean, these were medically diagnosable things. They weren't just people's imagination. And so they started trying to figure out what's happening, what's going on here, and are we under attack by somebody, and what is the weapon? I mean, because nobody knew what the weapon was. So there are a lot of theories from ultrasonics to uh, microwave, uh, directed microwave energy weapons. It was just all kind of different things. And the, 
there were there were different reasons why none of those really fit. And I'll give you my best guess of what I think it might be. Um, but the reasons it didn't fit is what you'd have is you'd have a, a person in a room who suddenly would start experiencing these effects, right? This powerful headache, this sort of um, very uncomfortable feeling, a pressure type feeling. And they would also experience something like a, you know, like if you roll your window down, one side of your car window, when you're driving at 55, you get that pop, 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 pop sound, mm-hmm. right? The air kind of pulsing in. Um, and that's what they would experience. And, that, and that's an effect with electromagnetics called the Frey effect, where you get this something in your ear and the cochlea of the ear starts reacting to the powerful electromagnetic waves. And it, it has that feel where you start hearing things that are, actually aren't audible, but you start hearing them anyway, that pulsing sort of effect. And there were a number of people who reported feeling that as they started getting sick. And so that leads me to believe it was probably some sort of electromagnetic uh, high energy microwave attack of some sort. The The trouble with that theory, and it's why this conclusion of this panel was they at the end of the day, they just went, I don't know. We don't know what yeah. it was. Okay. Um, but the reason they had trouble just all agreeing on that answer was that it was so directed. It would affect one person in one room, but you know, 15 feet away in another room, other people would have no symptoms. And so it was very, very targeted. And that's something that people don't know how to do very well with uh, microwave energy. And, 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 you know, it's kind of like in water, right? The ripples just spread out. It's very difficult right. to focus it like a laser, let's say a column they like. So they weren't really sure how it could be done. And so at the end of the day, I think the expert just concluded, we don't really know. It has many symptoms of a microwave type attack, but we don't really know. And um, what's interesting is, other embassies around the world started experiencing similar phenomena. Hmm. Um, and so that was kind of in D.C. and in other countries as well. Even in China, for example, we were at one time, you know, maybe it's those Chinese, right? Well, then the Chinese started experiencing. So I don't know who was responsible. I don't think anybody knows. Um, they have subsided as far as I'm aware. But it sure seems to me like it was some sort of electromagnetic hmm. weapon being tested um, in, in some way. And, uh, be interesting when it all comes out, maybe the military does know and they just haven't released it. Right. But it's not public knowledge what the cause of it was, but it's very, it's very, very interesting for sure. Hey, let's take a quick break. Has your data been hacked? Do you feel uneasy about the vulnerability of your personal information online? Were you involved in the target LinkedIn or Microsoft data leaks? Don't know? If not, then pay attention. Join Forrest Garvin from PrepperNet for a free webinar on privacy and security. Gain insights into safe internet browsing, VPNs, crafting online aliases, secure emails, detecting if your data has been hacked, and managing passwords. Secure your spot today for this webinar on privacy and security. It's free. This webinar delves into comprehensive strategies for bolstering your online privacy. We've got you covered from fortifying your passwords to shielding your financial information and mastering state-of-the-art encryption techniques. We're offering two convenient dates to suit your schedule. Reserve your spot now at PrepperNet.com privacy. Don't let cyber threats erode your peace of mind any longer. Take the first step toward a safer, more secure online experience by joining us for our free webinar. Remember, knowledge is power when it comes to safeguarding your privacy. Sign up now at PrepperNet.com privacy. We'll see you there. You know, with all my research on that, I I still claim it was an Atari one. Atari one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first Atari. Yeah. Someone in the building was playing it and it just, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
Well, that that is just crazy because I know that um there are other weapons. Oh my gosh, I got another question just came up. Um, <laughs> um I I've seen the military has these um these trucks, and they literally pull up with this like flat piece of metal. It looks like, mm-hmm. and they can beam signals down and. I don't know if it pops people's eardrums. What I've read is that like f- they feel like their skin's on fire. Mm-hmm. It, it, tell, do you know anything about that machine? Because that's cool. And how do yeah, I get that? That is very cool. Um, yeah, that's the active denial system is what it's okay. called. I think it's been around for at least 20 years. Um, I think it was declassified, so everybody learned about it. But they could put these big microwave uh, antennas on Humvees. And they would drive them, let's say, near the gate of a compound. And if, let's say, a mob was coming toward the compound, you know, we're going to overrun the Americans. They turn on this active denial system, which just broadcasts these 95 gigahertz electromagnetic waves out. And it had a range of like a half a kilometer, you know, five football fields, something like okay. that. And by all accounts, you had no more than two seconds before you were turning and running in the other direction. It was just agonizingly painful. Wow. Um, basically it felt like, you know, the world's worst sunburn real time happening to you. Um, the interesting thing about it was it didn't cause any permanent damage. The, once the person fled the area, they didn't really suffer any long-term damage from it. Wow. So it was, a, it's a really neat weapon. It's a deterrent weapon, crowd control kind of weapon. I've heard they've used it uh, to deter pirates and things like that, you know, from boarding uh, vessels and stuff. So it's a, it's a, it's sort of a crowd control, you know, we're going to put great amount of pain on you. And the only goal of it is to get you to go the other direction and people will do it. There was a, um, a news anchor who wanted to experience it firsthand. He went to military and said, I want to do a report on this. They said, no, you really don't. They said, no, no, I really want to do this. They said, no one's ever made it more than two seconds before they've turned and ran. And he said, I think I can make it more than two seconds. And he did not make it more than two seconds. They, you know, he got at range. They turned that baby on and he was running and crying like a baby. So it's, it's I have not been in it. I don't want to be in it, but it's extremely painful. And it does, though, it, it shows how, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of nonsense around electromagnetic fields and the and the wrists and all that. Um, people hyper worry about it. And, you know, the tinfoil hat is the typical you know joke that we all make. But the reality of it is, if you want electromagnetic fields to hurt people, you can you can have them hurt people. There's no question about it. I always tell people there's a reason why microwave ovens have shields in front of right. the doors, right? And mm-hmm. if they didn't, we'd all have real problems. We'd be cooking from them. So microwave energy, high frequency energy, can certainly harm people in high power levels and high energy levels. And so people should keep that in mind. And then the debate is just, are we ever exposed to those levels and how do we detect them and what do we do about them? You know, that kind of thing. But the people who run around saying they're, you know, electromagnetics can never hurt anybody. Well, you know, we can point to clear cases, mm-hmm. but that's not true. Well, oh, my other question, how can I get one? One of those active denial systems? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I want yeah. a small one. You ever, <laughs> I want a small one. Um, just so if someone's kind of walking to me, I can like point it right towards them. That would be great. Oh, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Because so let me tell you what. So I just went to and you've been to conferences before, and I'm sure you've stood behind a table and people come up and ask questions or whatever. One of the, one of my friends was behind a table. And he goes, he goes, don't you just look sometimes down the rows and all of a sudden you see someone from like last year and the year before that, and you're like, I hope they don't stop here. <laughs> so I need one, and I could pinpoint it and just you know deter them from coming that would be almost pretty fun 
So um, the other thing I want to ask about is um, we're not going to, okay, let's don't get into EMPs yet, but let's get into, um, I saw a video and I, I got to ask you if it's real. Yeah. It, it's on the YouTube, the YouTube, listen to me. Um, I'm talking like a, <laughs> like a old person here. You're talking um, like me. It, it, the YouTube. Um, and it's, it, I don't know if it's real. It's like a missile or a drone going overhead. It beams like an EMP pulse down at a building, and the building loses power, but no other building does, and it keeps flying on. And I, I think it was a DARPA video. I don't know if people made that up, if, if it's a lie, but I've seen the video. Is that I thing? Seen the video. You but haven't it's seen certainly possible. I think it's possible. Sure. Directed. Um, so an EMP, right. Or we, we could spend a whole hour easy on EMPs, but everybody thinks of EMP as this high altitude nuclear generated EMP, which is what we're all worried about. Right. But there certainly are low altitude um, new, EMPs that are not nuclear based. They just generate EMPs through a Mercator or some other kind of flux flux generator. You get these powerful electromagnetic fields in a very small area. And you can take out, you know, portions of a military base or a particular building. And all you're doing is overloading the electronics. You know, you're coupling into sensitive electronics and causing some damage, which could take out power of the building. It depends on what's powering that building. So um, it's a known weapon that has been in the U.S. arsenal and other countries' arsenal for quite some time to do mostly disruption of, like, communication systems, you know, try and keep command and control, uh, interfere with command and control of an enemy. Okay. I want one of them as well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. How about um, ADS? Tell me all everything you know about ADS. That's a. Well, that's what we were talking about. That's that active denial system. Active denial system. Yeah. So that goes on the Humvee. Okay. That's microwave. Isn't there another one though that is sound only? Well, there are. Yeah, there okay. are ultrasonic and subsonic um, weapons that you can mm -hmm. do. In fact, it's a funny story. Um, I'm not an ultrasonics expert, but um, ultrasonics can cause problems as well. Uh, very, very low frequencies, for example, can cause human problems, brain problems and other things. And <laughs> I've um, experienced that a lot. <laughs> yeah, me too. And the older you get, the more they affect you, apparently. But it's interesting. I was I'm not going to say where because I don't want to cause anybody some problems. But I was part of a meeting at one time and one of the scientists was very casually saying he was conducting this ultrasonic experiment and had been for several months in the area. And, um, and people started asking, well, what levels are we talking about? And he said, oh, you could detect this thing 500 miles away. It was able to, because it travels through, you know, materials very, very well, this low frequency. And everybody started getting really alarmed. And it ended up that the levels at which they were transmitting were actually very hazardous to people and had been for quite some time. So people brought it up. It was immediately, the program was immediately stopped. And I think all traces were, I don't know if that guy's even around anymore. It might've been like that Chinese guy that did the cloning and kind of disappeared for a while. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there are certainly uh, sonic weapons as well. Mm -hmm. um, some of those I know like are aboard vessels too. They used to deter the um, uh, pirates that were trying to abort. I think one of the famous stories was them turning on one of those sonic weapons. And those have similar things. I think they make you very, very nauseous. Um, until a point that, you know, you can't stand it. It's not like you can uh, just withstand it and keep going. I was just looking for my tinfoil hat and I realized I actually don't have one. 
Maybe I need to make one. one. I need to make one because this next question. Go on my website. I actually have some really cool hats. If anybody's looking for one, oh, they're uh, they're lined. I just did it for for some friends. Uh They're lined in EMF material inside this really cool hat. You can go check it out. EMFbeacon.com. There's only I think one left, but you can go check them out. If somebody wants one, they let me know. It's got a little cool skull logo on the back, and it says "Stealth Tech" on the front. Really slick. Um, (laughs) Some friends (laughs) begged me to make them, so I made these hats and. And sold them to us. <laughs> anyway, nice. So my question is this, and I were I, you know, I hear things, and sometimes I believe them, sometimes I don't. But I had a friend that swore up and down. I was looking at this house to move into, and I would say a hundred yards behind the house. No, I would say fifty yards behind the house. Property that is for transmission lines for big power lines. Yep. massive high. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're 50 feet, 75 feet in the air, whatever they are. And when I saw the power lines behind the house, my, we like the house a lot. I just told my wife, I do, I don't feel comfortable buying this house. Mm-hmm. And she's like, why? And I'm like, well, I have a friend that said that they transmit or let off some radiation or something that can alter our DNA and I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable. And we did not move there. Was I crazy or not? Well, you're uh, crazy for other reasons. Okay. <laughs> but let me say, yeah, I, I hope myself up for that. Experience. Um, probably about 20 years ago, we looked at a house and in the backyard were these big transmission lines that were, you know, 50 yards away or something. And mm-hmm. it was, it was kind of scary, frankly. And I didn't know as much then as I do know about electromagnetics, but we didn't buy the house either. I just thought, mm-hmm. for one thing, resellability, this is going to scare other people. Right. It scares me. Yep. But so it's funny you ask that, though, because about three or four years ago, I wanted to answer that question definitively, right? Because I, I've just wondered. And so I got some really expensive test equipment that measures uh, electric fields and magnetic fields, like $50,000 test equipment. And I took a student out from local college, and we spent a couple of weeks measuring it was kind of funny. We were wandering through people's yards and you know, we tried to knock on their door, but nobody's ever home. So we were wandering through their yards, measuring the magnetic fields from these power lines. And I was surprised by the findings. So if I walked out their back door and I went all the way into the power lines, the magnetic field lines under those power lines was quite high. All right. Yeah. I would not want to have lived under the power lines, Okay. but the fields dropped very, very quickly. They basically won over the, the distance squared. And as I got back toward their house, by the time I was on anybody's porch, you couldn't measure the fields anymore. So the answer is sort of yes and no. In the house, I don't think they suffered any ill effects at all. Okay. But there is a zone by which I'm in the back of my yard where I maybe not, you know, it's not so safe. Maybe I am exposed to so high magnetic field. So the short answer is I don't think you were crazy. I wouldn't have bought the house either. I think it's something to be a little bit concerned about. Okay. He takes it one step further. When he built his house, he made sure that when in his master bedroom and his kids room that there were no electrical outlets or power running behind the bed mm-hmm. where they would be sleeping. Um, yeah. Is there any concern with just normal power lines in a house? No, I know I've heard people doing that too. Even people killing the power in certain rooms when they sleep and stuff. And the short answer is I would say for almost everyone You'd never know if you did a blind test, whether the power was on or off. It would never affect you. It wouldn't give you headaches or insomnia or anything like that. Just from standard house power running through the wires. Because there's very little current flowing when everything's mm-hmm. off, right? And the okay. magnetic field lines only 
only get generated when current flows. So mm -hmm. if there's no current flowing, there's no magnetic field line. So I would say that's not really something to be concerned about. I'll just leave one small caveat. Okay. The small okay. caveat is there are certain people out there that are very, very sensitive to electromagnetic fields. They've done tests. People have done tests by this and they, they can detect when they're in the presence of them. Most people cannot, but okay. most of, if those people were hypersensitive to it, maybe they do want to take some special precautions like that. But I think the vast majority of people uh, wouldn't have any effect on it. It's had no effect on me at all. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, <laughs> Um, another question, and I'm just, I'm literally making these up as I go here, um, doctor. Um, my uncle passed away from, he, I think his job in the air force was, um, I think they called it a scope dope. I think where he had this big radar machine in front of him, the green and the white line goes around yep. and he would sit in front of this machine and look for things on the radar from the old radar and the word from the family was that the radiation from that over the, you know, all the years he was behind that actually um, gave him cancer. Hmm. Have you ever heard anything about that? I think it's possible. Yeah. That I think it's possible. possible. Those big CRT screens like that. Um, they were not regulated the way screens are today. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's certainly possible. And, and there's no doubt that people that work around high power lines, for example, they do have a higher rate of cancer. So there, I mean, certainly there's some correlation between high electromagnetic fields and, and uh, maladies like cancer. So I think it's possible. Sure. Um, and I've got to ask this one because we have a bunch of geeks in the chat room. I mean, total 10 full hat people and every, and they, and even Beth, I mean, they won't. Okay. So Here's the conspiracy theory, doctor, that they vaccinated all these people. Yeah. It went into their body and that now they can take 5G and literally control us, mind control us, give us pain. Um, is is you might not know about the vaccination, but can 5G do this? I mean, give us the facts so we can just yeah. either rest or tear them all down. All right, so there's a lot of concern about 5G. Let's just talk about 5G or whatever the next gen is. Um, okay. And and I try and be balanced about this. On the one side, if you ask most scientists and engineers, they'll say, ah, poppycock. That's just gobbledygook, fear-mongering. <clears throat> but here's the thing. I'm not the other camp, which is, oh, 5G is you know, going to kill us all. But it is a fairly untested new technology, very high frequencies in the tens of gigahertz, for many of the 5G systems that we don't really know having all these distributed antennas, if it's going to cause long-term health effects, we just don't know because we haven't lived through that for that period of time yet. I think there was, there was some testing done and experts concluded, no, we're probably fine from it, but I don't think it's crazy for people to say, Hey, I'm concerned about 5G. It might have some ill effects on me. And so I want to know more about it. I don't think that's crazy at all. all okay. Right? Do I think, the vaccine has nanobot, nanoparticles, whatever that can be activated by an electromagnetic wave, whether it's 5G or something else. No, I don't believe that such a technology is even close to existing yet. Would one day such a thing be possible? Yeah, probably. And would the governments try it? Sure. Why not? Right. Mm -hmm. But it's just way ahead of where the science is right now. So I know there was a big YouTube thing just recently about the the uh, the broadcast. You know, we got the emergency operations broadcast. 
And people thought that was like some precursor to this. I don't think there's any truth to that. I think it was just people talking. Maybe some believed it, but mostly for fun. But could it happen one day? I think it's possible. People should be vigilant and ask tough questions. When you're getting something injected into your body, you need to ask tough questions. But the technologies are just not there yet. So I don't believe there's anything to that. Okay. Am am I going to die from this up in my head, talking on it like three hours a day? You know, it's all joking aside, cell phone. I mean, I live and mine's right here, right? We all have Mm -hmm. our cell phones. Um, Oh, that's the picture of my phone. (laughs) I've shown my, uh, my newest book, but anyway, um, all jokes aside, you know, cell phones are one of those things we can't live without. We all have just come get used to them, but they are not without danger because while they're very regulated in terms of how much energy they put off, that they're right up against your body, right? Right up against your brain of all places. And it's not crazy to think they might cause some problems. And so I don't discount the possibility that cell phones could have long-term health effects on people. I just, I think it's a reasonable question. The Prepping Academy podcast. What are you prepping for? Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. You're listening to The Prepping Academy. The information you need before the world ends. This is like this is like a dream, you know, you can uh every question you have about electronics you can just ask right now. I mean, I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> you might, might not be good answers, but you can ask. <laughs> if you don't know the answer, you can make it up, right? That, well, yeah, I try. So tell us about EMF. I mean, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but sure. where should we be concerned? Um, who could, who should be concerned? And do yeah. we need to wear ten full hats? Only if they're the hats I made. All right. Okay. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's the, nice. The short answer is, um, you know, EMF. Uh, the worry about EMFs is probably way overblown. Okay. I mean, that, that's the truth of it. But I don't. I think there's a thread of truth to it. I think that the verdict is still out over whether long-term exposure to all of the radio waves, the Bluetooth, the Wi-Fi's, the cell phones—you know—it's everywhere. It's all the time. Whether that might have long-term health implications on people, or whether it does right now, whether people have more sleeping problems today than they did 30 years ago. I mean, there's lots of questions about that kind of stuff. Um, so I think people need to not stand so hard one side or the other and definitively declare, oh, EMFs are killing everybody. We should have no electronics of any sort in our life. Mm -hmm. Or the other side, which is, oh, it's all fully tested. Everything's perfectly safe. You guys are just crazy. I think we should all kind of come to the middle somewhere and say, well, there is this environment we're in that's different than it used to be. And it certainly can affect human tissue. There's no question about it. It may not ionize us like radiation does, but it certainly can heat human tissue and that can cause effects on us, right? And what people don't know is that our standards, which set how much EMF exposure you can be, you can have around you safely, 
is done on these average levels, not on the peak pulse levels, right? So I could tell you, oh, you can only have an average of 10 watts per square meter on you or, or it's going to violate the code. But maybe I only hit you with something for very brief periods of time, but it's much, much stronger than that. Then I could still perhaps cause damage to the tissue and maybe cause you some problems. So the short answer is I think EMFs still require some study. I think experts still need to continue to look at that. We're one of the countries in the U.S. that's pretty lax about it, to be honest. Over in Europe, there's a lot more stringent uh, rules and regulations regarding EMFs than there is here. So you know, do they know something we don't? I don't know. They'd just be more cautious, perhaps. But um, So what I tell people is with EMFs, there's sort of a couple of aspects of it. First thing is you got to determine how strong are the EMFs in the area that I'm concerned about. If I'm sitting right in front of a Wi-Fi router, you'd be surprised. You're getting pretty high electromagnetic field levels, right? If you took an EMF meter and you measured it, you'd be very surprised. Fluorescent lights is another good example. Very high EMFs. Um, if you get very close to high power lines, as we talked about, these aren't high frequency EMFs. These are magnetic field lines because of current flowing in those wires. But again, they can be pretty high. So the first thing is determine, are there pretty high EMFs in an area I'm worried about? And then what do you do about them? Like, you know, you, you live with all these, this electromagnetic fields around you. And there's really only two ways to deal with it, right? The two ways are you put distance between you and the source. So if you okay. figure out, hey, that Wi-Fi router really is putting a lot of EMFs out, you got to put some distance between you and that. You just, you can, even a small amount of distance can make a huge effect on the field level. Because again, you drop off that inverse square law, right? Every doubling of distance, you get one fourth the power at that uh, new range. So it's, it, if you can just put a little distance, you get a lot of benefit. Um, the other way you can do it is you can shield yourself or you can shield the object that's projecting the energy out. And the shielding, how do you shield? You just put some form of metallic conductive barrier between you and those that energy, mm -hmm. which is where the tinfoil hats came from, right? And even though the hats might not, people point out, hey, what about the rest of your body still exposed? I've just got my right. head. Right. But I could say, hey, you know, at least you're protecting the brain some, right? You're doing something. I mean, yeah, it's not a, you're not in a cocoon, but it's not crazy, crazy um, to put some kind of shielding. And you, like you said, sometimes people will go, they'll buy conductive clothing or conductive sheets for their bed mm -hmm. at night. Let's say they cover up with some, some silk type sheets that have silver fibers in them and they will cut down their EMF exposure a lot. Um, will it really help their health? I don't know. It depends on what they're suffering from. There are a lot of things that can hurt and kill us. But there are ways people can shield themselves if they really are concerned about it. Um, and sometimes it's all up here, right? I've had lots of people write me over the years that say, I am 100% convinced that these EMFs are harming me. What can I do? And I'll tell them, all right, figure out where it's coming from, put some distance, maybe add some shielding in your life. And they'll write me back and say, you saved my life, right? You saved my life by telling me that. Now, did it really have any effect on their health? I don't know. But right. it did on their their thinking of their right. health. And it helped yep. them. So there's that aspect to it too. So when you place a phone on a wireless charger, is that a form of EMF? Yeah, it sure is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's close proximity though, right? It's it's a very new technology, as you know. Within I don't know what last five, six, seven years, where they've learned how to do these directional EMF energy transfers efficiently. Used mm -hmm. to be you could never do it without connection, electrical connection, because it was so inefficient. You had to generate so much power and you couldn't get enough into the device, but they got it all tuned just right. And I'm not an expert on the technology, but I remember reading about it. Mm -hmm. MIT, I think, was part of that development. And it's very, very cool. Um, I don't think you're in any danger from it. I don't think the fields are high coming off in directions or anything. 
Um, but I think it's a very fascinating technology. So one of my inventions I'm going to make billions off of is put these EMF in the road. So as Tesla's and battery cars are driving, it can, it can suck up the energy every time it goes over one. Hey, I don't know, man. It's a great idea. I don't know. Yeah. It's only going to cost a trillion to implement and put that power in the (laughs) ground. I'm sure. (laughs) You know, I come up with these ideas and no one ever listens. So anyway, um, um, but you said people actually sleep under sheets and have clothes that have like EM. Really? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of sites out there. You can buy um, sheets, huh. for example, high quality sheets. I mean, they're not, they're not junk. There's a lot of, is it like sheets. copper, the copper socks line stuff? And no? well, they don't usually use copper, but they usually use, let's say silver. Okay. Silver. Yeah. React to silver much. Huh. And other things have like nickel and zinc, but what's against the skin, usually I see as some kind of silver threads and they're pretty expensive. Like you can buy a t-shirt, for example, that that's, has this silver threading in it and it might cost you 65, 70 bucks for that t-shirt. But, you know, again, if you were convinced that you maybe right. had a pacemaker or you had some heart condition you thought might be being affected, eh, that's small money, you know, for trying to do something for your health. So it is crazy to think about 50 years ago. Uh, there wasn't very many electrical or, or radio waves or just waves going through the air. And now if you could like get a lens and look at the earth, you know, I'll say 60, 70 years ago, the only thing, only thing you would see is maybe a few microwaves at the time, but I mean like signals, but mostly like radio stations. And today I would think then, you just wouldn't even be able to see anything because of all the, I mean, you you go by a grocery store, they got all these little radar, little things for the doors. They got the scanners. They got all this, all these waves are out there. And you, you got to think that I know, I mean, on the other side of that is we're living longer, even with this stuff. So you know, it's just kind of crazy to think that if you could literally see every single wave that's coming your way, like I'm sure I'm getting Bluetooth from a neighbor, I'm getting their Wi-Fi, I'm getting every radio station in in my town. That 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 wave, that radio wave or frequency is coming at me because if I put a transistor radio up right here, I could receive all these different. I know they're very small and weak, but yeah, that's just crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we get energy from space as well. We get lots of different kinds of energy. And like I said, don't get me wrong. I think the vast majority of it is very harmless. It doesn't really hurt us. We're not Mm -hmm. fragile creatures that are affected that much by it. My only point is that we shouldn't discount out of hand because we know we can take electromagnetics to the harmful or even deadly level. We know we can ramp it up and do it. The question is, have we are we maybe a little too far where we might be causing long-term health problems or not? And that's all I ask people is keep in mind that we know we can cause harm. We know we probably don't at very level of where's the dividing line. And it's different for each person. So Mm -hmm. I just try and tell people, keep an open mind when you talk about the subject. Okay. um, Doctor, it's just us. There's no one else. No one's ever going to hear this. Just, just me and you. Okay. All right. And you work for NASA. I mean, are there, that up right now. Are, are there really, are there aliens that NASA's talking to right now? Is there, is there aliens that we, you know, we're, 
you know, that we have in Area 51. I know you know this because you, you, yeah, everyone at NASA is briefed on that on the first day, in fact. Um, yeah, no, I don't know, Forrest. I wish I knew more about, you know, it's, it's a, that's a whole nother subject. I'd love to see you have an expert on, on some of the UFO stuff. I watched that, that in the news. It's fascinating. I, I just don't have any answers. On this isn't that that Jones guy? What was his name? <laughs> you know, the crazy guy. Yeah. Um, I forgot his name, but Joe, but anyway, okay. Um, another inside um, question for, for you. Um, oh, okay. Can you, you're an engineer and you have seen spaceships go up in the air. Some of these, objects that these planes are finding you have you seen the one that they say is going like a thousand miles an hour mm-hmm. and it's close to the water is yeah. it, it have you just yourself have you go thought going what the heck is that or yeah do you don't know uh, yeah i have the same question as you about that i think which is I think there's a couple of possible, well, a few possibilities, just logically, right? It could be some experimental aircraft of some sort that we're just not aware of, right? Um, but there's some some videos. There's one of them where it, it's airborne, high altitude, changes direction, and then goes right down into the ocean. Now, I'm not aware of anything that can do that. Um, Aquaman. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, so the short answer is I don't know, and I'm, it's yeah. very interesting to me. So we'll see where all that goes in the future. That is, it's just kind of that's just crazy stuff. I'm not a big alien believer, but you know, some of that video is fascinating. Um, so, um, with that, you've created a little <laughs> product. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to get off my. We get off the conspiracy theories and things like that. But with that, there's a little thing like oh, this. Yes. Tell, tell me about what this is. All right. So, I yeah, that's called the EMF beacon. You can see it right there on the side. This is a little invention I made. It hasn't been that long ago, maybe about six months ago. And let me explain what it does. Because i got to set expectations, okay? It basically monitors the environment you're in for common high frequency electromagnetic fields and if those fields get above about one percent of the maximum recommended levels um, then it lights a light and you and right in the center a bright red light that says hey i'm in an area of elevated fields so that's only one percent okay it's not that high but remarkably it really only lights when you're very close to things like a wi-fi router or a microwave oven things like that it will light okay um, otherwise it won't light because most of us are not exposed to high fields most of the day But what's so cool about that? We've had EMF meters for probably 25 years. What's cool about it is it has no power source, right? It doesn't have a battery. It doesn't have any power source at all. It actually uses the electromagnetic fields in the air that you're measuring to energize the circuit and light the light. And people might say, so what? Well, believe me, that is very hard to do to extract those wisps of RF energy or that EMF energy enough to actually do something useful with it. Um, and, and it took a lot of optimization, way more than I even want to care to tell you, to get it would work just right. Um, but anyway, it's a dual antenna system that looks for these high frequency EMF energies and then warns the user. And it's a, you know, it's just kind of a cool gadgety thing. People, they're on little keychains or little pouches. I got, I've got one here I can show too, but that's a great picture of it. And um, they got real popular when they went. I was on somebody's show and they, I sent him one, and he was just tickled pink with it running around showing everybody's microwave was leaking energy and all this kind of stuff. So 
it's a neat little gadget. If anybody's interested in them, you only get them one place. I invented them. It's at emfbeacon.com. And that's a shameless plug for my little product there. But uh, it's an How much are you selling product. them for? They're 39 bucks. Okay. Yeah, 39 bucks. And they, uh, you know, I make it all. I make them all myself. They're all put together. Everything is, you know, my own. It's my own design, my own development, and all that stuff. So anyway, it's very cool. nice. It's very cool product. Harvesting, which is kind of a neat technology. You're not actually doing the soldering, though, are you? You know what? For for a long time, I did the soldering. Oh, did you really? Okay. It was just such. It was a hobby. You know, it was one of these sort of passion projects that I just wanted to really see if I could do it. Uh-huh. I mean, meaning, could I do? Could I develop a product that would really work right. like that? And so I did my own soldering, built my own boards, everything. I have since let others start soldering. They're they're done down in North Carolina, but um, but for a while I did. I soldered them, hand soldered them myself. Nice. I wasn't so, making any money, believe me. <laughs> I've got a device that we can make together. I promise you, if we can, if you can help me make this, right. I promise you a billion dollars out of All the right. cut, out of the cut. All right, I'm, it, we're on record. I hear it. Okay. It is a pre EMP detector. A pre EMP, not just EMP, but pre EMP. Yes. I so I want it on a keychain. I want it on a keychain. And so it at least gives a 30 minute warning before EMP happens. Before the EMP. Yeah. 30 minutes would be tough. You might could get 20 if you could detect the launch of the rocket, but <laughs> I will share with you something. I probably shouldn't share this, but you're the only person I've told this, right? You're okay. The there is a product that I have worked on um, that will detect an EMP that will hang on a keychain. All right. And there's no such thing in the world right now, but I have actually designed one and there okay. is going to be one coming. I'm not going to sell it myself. It'll go through disasterrepair.com or one of the companies, but it's um it'll be the first of its kind in the world as far as I know. So yeah. when your phone dies and everything else dies, you look at your detector and go, oh, that was an EMP. That was an EMP. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what happened. That would be exactly what happened is you'd have an indication that said, hey, something happened. It wasn't just my phone. There's some really powerful electromagnetic disturbance that just happened in this area where I'm at. Mm-hmm. It's pretty right. cool. The reason you can't normally do it, by the way, is that for a device to continually monitor the environment all the time, it just runs your batteries down quickly, right? If right. you get a couple of weeks, your uh, battery's dead, then you yeah. got to change the battery out. But I came up with a really cool way that essentially doesn't, would not, the batteries would last for years and years and years. Nice. Which is pretty cool. So we'll see where that goes. So I watched a movie called Ocean's Eleven. Yes. They had Eleven. an EMP in the back of a van. Yep. And I loved it when the guy kind of, he looked and he kind of protected himself and turned, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, that's smart. like, yeah. Um, so, and I think I've asked you this question before. You, you're saying that realistically that could happen. Yeah. You could do something like that. Small scale uh, EMP mm-hmm. weapons do exist. Um, directional devices where you're just shooting, let's say you're trying to take out a, a building or some that's small nice. area. You can certainly mm-hmm. generate powerful waves like that. Okay. Um, I have accidentally destroyed things with when I was testing with powerful energy like that, um, not directing at a building, but, you know, harming some piece of electronics that's nearby and I've zapped it. Well, can you share more about that? You um, about some of your testing? Because um, so sure. if if I understand it, if if I'm right, if, you know, five years of being friends, I could be totally wrong. But I mean, one of your jobs is protecting satellites from like CMEs. 
yep. electromagnetic fields or even you know, any type of electronic electromagnetic pulse, even if it's man-made or, or, you know, so what kind of testing have you done? And um, like, were you part of the testing where they drove cars and they zapped the cars from like above and tested that? Right. No, that was before my time. That was the MP commissions work. Um, okay. where they took, I don't 50 cars or so and ran various tests to see what would start causing problems with them. And we could talk about the commission's results, but the short answer is people have discovered, yeah, you can cause harm to electronics with powerful electromagnetics. I mean, we've known that for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's way back in the sixties, right? Uh, they used to have a, a, a building, well, a structure called the trestle. If anybody wants to look that up, the word trestle, T-R-E-S-T-L-E. And it was a big wooden structure. I think it was, I don't know if it was in New Mexico, somewhere out in the dry area. They had this entirely wooden structure. Even the nails were wooden. Everything was wood, right? And what they would do, it was an EMP tester. They would pull up military vehicles on it, like airplanes, and they would zap it with an EMP, and they would see what survived. And they didn't want the structure to cause an effect, which it would have if it was metal. And that was how they did a lot of EMP testing way back in the day. Now, what they found was that was tremendously expensive, as you can imagine, to do that, maintain that structure. Um, so now they do most of it through simulation, where they create these models of things, and then they do this EMP. Now, mm-hmm. we, uh, when we build satellites, um, we do hands-on real-world testing of all kinds of electromagnetic effects. As part of our, before we deliver, we have to do these environmental tests to make sure it'll survive in space. Space is not a friendly environment. And so one of those is this mill standard 461, which part of that is EMP testing. And there are a lot of other kinds of testing. Um, and so what we find isn't just like you'd suspect. you got to put in, you know, protective products like surge devices. And you got to put in shielding. You have just the things you would do. But the beauty is you're only doing it on something that's pretty small. So you have lots of freedom to solve that problem. It's much harder when you're trying to do it to a city. You know, you're trying to protect a city or even a building is very difficult. Uh, but we do that for all, almost all of the systems that go up are tested uh, environmentally like that um, from electromagnetics. The only things that are not are typically very, very cheap satellites, those small satellites that like universities launch and stuff. They, and, they, you know, they typically only make it a couple of days. They usually die within a couple of days. In fact, many of them don't even power up. But, um, but if you're going to last up there for a year or something like that, you have to have gone through those tests and hardened everything. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So uh, guys in the, in the chat room, we are getting ready. So um, if Beth, if you would show everyone how we want our questions um, so we can know it's a question, um, but I'm going to ask a few, if you don't mind, is there anything else I need to touch on before we go to some questions? No, I, I'm good. Let's talk. To okay. You. Okay. So my first question is, is the, and you get this question, you've answered this question probably 500 times in your life. When an EMP happens, um, will my car, X model, whatever it may be, what's the likelihood that I can't drive it? Yeah. So the short answer is nobody knows for certain, but I'll give you educated guesses. Right. Okay. And this is all based on some basic. Explain that to me. Why no one knows for certain. Right. Well, because it's extremely difficult to do a wide scale test of vehicles because vehicles are also very different. Right. And every year they change and there's, you know, hundreds of models and Mm -hmm. and little things can make big differences in susceptibility. Orientations of wires in the wiring harness can make a big difference or, you know, what kind of uh, systems they have that are doing engine control. And it can make a big difference how susceptible it is. So you can't definitively say 
oh, 73% of cars are going to be damaged without having tested millions of cars to get that data. How many cars have been tested? Eh, like 50. Okay, so the data set is so, so small, you really can't draw that conclusion. But what I can tell you is this. The electronics that are in modern cars in the last 10 years, right? Solid state electronics. We all have these nice, pretty displays and everything. Right. That electronics is certainly able to be damaged by an EMP. No question about it. Now, cars have some natural shielding because many of them are in metal sort of housings. And I did some testing on that sort of stuff years ago. It's in my EMP book. Um, but even so, it's a mild effect on it. It's a mild effect on how much it reduces field. So fields still are pretty darn strong in the cars. All right. And so, yes, some of them would certainly be damaged. Some cars would just be upset and they would go, oh, and they would choke out and die. But you'd be able to restart them and be able to keep going. So the short answer is my guess is many cars would experience an upset. All right. Many cars would experience upset. Some of those would suffer some kind of damage. Now, whether it prevent them from driving, it would depend on the type of damage. If you asked me to, you said, all right, Art, you got to tell me about a number you would guess. My guess is it would be between 10 and 20% of cars might not be able to be continue operating. That's just my guess, just a swag, okay? I don't think it'd be 98%. I don't think it'd be 1%. 10 to 20%, all right? Now, that might not sound like much, but if you got 100 million cars on the road at any given time, and let's right. say 20% of them, right, 20 million cars all of a sudden just went inoperable, not counting the other ones that shut off, right? It's game over for any kind of roadways, right? They're all going to be jammed with accidents and you're never going to clear those things for a long, long time. So it would be a big deal, um, even, even if it was only that 10 to 20%, because the roadways would become quickly impassable, not to count you couldn't get fuel and all those other problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is worth, people say, oh, well, should I protect my vehicle? You know, it's a it's a money trade thing, right? What's okay. the benefit versus the cost, like all things. And yes, I work for a company where we sell some products like that. But the shorter answer is, is it worth a couple hundred bucks to have a little bit of buy down in that risk? I probably, if you're worried about EMP, I think it's probably worth buying down that risk a little bit. Why? Because if I'm in that 20% or whatever that number is where the car quits, it could be my life, right? Or the life of somebody I love couple hundred bucks to maybe buy that risk down. Yeah, it's probably worth it to me. All right. Some people, maybe a couple hundred bucks is too much and this risk doesn't seem real enough. And then I'd say, no, don't bother. You got other things to worry about. There's lots of things that can kill you. This is just one thing that can get you. So that's the short answer on cars that I know. Okay. Um, So I've got like a couple more questions of my questions before we get to the users. Hang on guys. Um, Will satellites survive? Because one of the communication tools we thought about using within PrepperNet was where I, where our comms people could beam up a, to a satellite, and then the satellite then would be almost like a repeater and send it down um, to people on, and they can get it on their laptops or phones. Mm-hmm. Would would satellites survive that? Like if if something Maybe. happened over America? Yeah, maybe. So Maybe. it depends on the satellite, really. Okay. Like I said, we, I'm sure every company that fields those satellites, and it's because they're, man, they're very, very expensive. It costs about $20,000 per pound to put something into space, right? Just as a ballpark number. Okay. So if you're going to put a 500-pound satellite up in the space or a 1,000-pound satellite, it's very, very expensive, right? Um, not counting your design time and all that other stuff. It's just a launch is expensive, very expensive. So they're going to test the holy heavens out of anything they put up. And they know there are electromagnetic threats that can damage this. Might not mm-hmm. be a nuclear EMP they're worried about, but they're worried about other kinds of events, right? Solar flares and so forth, coronal mass ejections. 
So they're going to test these things. And that means they're hardened and they're shielded. Would they survive an EMP? I don't know. It depends on the particular satellite. I'm hoping that they design them well enough to. How about these? Not likely. Not likely. Not likely to make it. No. The reason they won't survive very likely is they have antennas on them that are just going to bring in the energy and they're going to overload the receiving circuits of that. They're meant to receive RF energy, right? And so my guess is they would be damaged. Plus they're so condensed and so small electronics. So do Faraday cages really work? They were great. You were in my class. I know. I know. They were great. So Faraday cages really nothing more than a conductive enclosure, right? It can be made out of aluminum foil. It can be made out of anything that's conductive. And if you seal it up tight enough, for example, if you could make a perfect Faraday cage, you put something and you just perfect meddled around it, right? A little shield of metal. Nothing in that Faraday cage would be ever be damaged by electromagnetic fields, all right? High frequency electromagnetic fields. But in reality, unfortunately, we can't make perfect Faraday cages because we got to have a way to get in and out of the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Some lid and something like that. And it's always those entry and exit points that compromise the Faraday cage in some way or another. And it just depends on how well you address those 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 seams, if you will, that decide how well they work. But the truth is, it's pretty easy to make a good Faraday cage that would protect nearly anything. Um, it doesn't cost much money. So as preppers, what things should we put in a Faraday cage? Oh, yeah, I have a whole video on that. They can search. Oh, do you really? Okay. Yeah. I asked that one question on a whole video. But the short answer is it's a little different for every person, but things like radios, medical devices, you know, solid state equipment, maybe like storage devices um, for your hard drives, things that can be damaged easily, a spare laptop, uh, things that are sensitive to it. You don't need to store motors. You don't need to store batteries because they're How not about solar panels. Solar panels are a little trickier to answer. Um, I do know of a company that has tested solar panels for EMP <clears throat> as well as solar power generation systems, the whole thing. The data I got was panels by themselves were not damaged when they fired an EMP off. Panels, when they were connected up to the full inverter and all of that, were damaged when they fired off the EMP. Because now you have the long cables, which act as beautiful antennas to bring energy. So I do talk about in some videos how to protect solar power generation systems. And if you've spent $40,000, $50,000 on a solar power generation, you should at least consider doing a little bit of protection. It's not very expensive. Mm -hmm. And it's worth, I think, it's again, buying down that risk a little bit. A question is, what frequency did the emergency brought? They just used cell phone frequencies, didn't they? They didn't, yeah, they didn't use it. like a special frequency. They just sent their their code over the cell phone towers. Mm-hmm. So it was no yeah. different frequency than you're already getting. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. It was all done through cell technology. Okay. What company sells the best clothes to protect yourself from E? e- you remember E.F. Hutton? I, I said I that in e. Yeah, yeah. But, um, e- EMF. Yeah, I don't I know what company I've, I've dealt with a couple of those companies, but, but I'm reluctant to like recommend their clothing. Cause I really don't know. You can just search, you know, like filter EMF is a co- company that sells them. Um, but mm-hmm. again, I haven't really tried these clothing. So I don't know how well made they are. So search the web a little bit, read some reviews. You can find there's probably 10 or more companies out there but in your rest, your body exposed. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. You know, again, it's one of those, do people want to buy down their exposure? Like, like the hat idea, right? Yeah, you, 98% is you're still exposed, right? But you're still reducing it some. I mean, if I right. measure right in my yeah. brain, it's going to be lower than it was. And maybe if you're worried about something in your chest, your heart or something, it is less fields, then no question. I thought the hat was to bring in signals. Well, <laughs> maybe that's why I'm wrong on this tinfoil hat. Maybe there's antennas <laughs> on the top. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, how about implants? And are they just going to like drop dead? 
I hope not. Um, I've been I hope not too. a number of times. And so like pacemakers, for example, I spent mm-hmm. some time looking at like a Medtronic's pacemaker, which was a pretty mainstream one back in the day. And they actually sent me the actual field levels that it had been tested to. And they were high field levels. I mean, they know you don't want to pass through something. And all of a sudden your pacemaker go, well, I Wonka, right? Because it's such a severe impact on you. So my guess is that most people who had pacemakers or implants that are in the body like that, they would probably not malfunction. But it's a guess, all right? It's a bit of a guess because they haven't been tested to those super high field levels of an EMP. Um, but I do know they're hardened to some degree. Okay. Um, Farrah, you're a big fan of these the the magnetic uh, the magnets that go over like um, power cords, aren't you? Uh, yeah, ferrites to really protect magnetic. my solar grid. Yeah, they're they, they're called ferrites, which makes you think they're magnetic, but they're not really. Oh, they're not magnetic. Oh, they're not. No, they're they're used to collect. If you want to think about it, when current flows through a wire, right, it gets this circulating magnetic field around the wire, and the ferrite, when you put it around the cable, helps sort of collect that magnetic field and keep it in the ferrous material. And we say, so what? What does that help me? Well. What helps me is if the current suddenly tries to change its amount, like it suddenly wants to spike up in current, you have to change the magnetic field that's inside of that ferrous material. And that's difficult to do. It resists the change in the magnetic field, which also resists the change in the current. So it's kind of like a shock absorber. It dampens the sudden current pulses that can flow down that wire. It's a well-known technology. Ferrite's been around forever. We have them on, even on my laptop, there's one on the power cord. So they're used all over the place. My camera in my car has a little ferrite around its power cord. And it's just to keep sudden current surges from causing damage to electronics. And so would so that help with, with a solar system and a well pump? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. There, that's one of the common ways you do it is you put okay. a, a very large ferrite at each end of the long wires that go from the panels to the inverter. One near the inverter, one near the panels. And that will help suppress some of that energy that gets coupled in the cables. Right. And you can put them around battery cables as well. I mean, you can put them around anything. They don't hurt anything. Um, they just help keep very fast transients from uh, coupling down those wires as efficiently. Hmm. Uh, can I would, I'm going to answer this one. No, but can military detect Faraday's cages? I don't see how they could. No. Faraday cages. No EMPs. Maybe they're talking about, I don't know, but yeah. Um, EMPs. Yes. The military could detect that an EMP has gone so, off. I got a question. So totally getting off questions right now. I heard that, did I read a book or I heard something that maybe in World War II that just tell me if this is possible. Could the government or someone like the government drive by my house and transmit a signal and tell me if I have a receive only radio? I heard that they could transmit and the on and the radio could make a frequency I couldn't hear, but they could detect. I, I you know, I don't know that that's possible. It depend on your radio has to emit something that they're detecting, right? Okay. I mean, it, it has to emit a frequency that they can detect and interrogate and say, hey, there's that frequency coming out of there. Like, for example, if you're illegally broadcasting, you know this, ham radio operator. If you're illegally broadcasting at high power levels, you can get caught, right? I mean, people can catch you and find out, hey, that's way more power than he's supposed to be broadcasting, and you can get fined and so forth. But if you're not transmitting anything, somebody has to 
stimulate something in your system that right. would give you a response, right? And so I don't know enough about radios to know if, if they would ever release a signal back that would tell them something was out there or receive only radio. I kind of doubt it personally. And the question's on the screen from Fred. Do you see the question? Um, uh, hey, Art, any thoughts on the Honey of Hawaii? Uh, what? I uh, know I'm not sure. Is this the is this the fire we're talking fire about? Is, I think so. I don't know. That's why yeah. I, did, I was hoping you would know. Uh, um, I'm not sure. Uh, there was a, a terrible wire fire out there, but I don't know how that would relate. I don't think it was anything related to electromagnetics. I think it was a power power plant maybe started in. Okay, here's a question. Um, after a high altitude nuclear EMP, um, does the atmosphere become saturated with ionization um, yeah, to the point no, that additional yeah, EMPs kinda, are ineffective? I get the idea of that, yeah. So it's not like a solar flare where you have a continued emitting of energy that's going to perturb you know, the ionosphere and all that. Um, it's really a very brief event. When the nuclear EMP happens, it does, it does ionize the air molecules, which just means it strips electrons off of the atoms, right? Mm -hmm. That's what ionization is. And those electrons are then, um, you can kind of think it was almost like collimated into current, which is affected by the magnetic field lines of the earth. And you get current that flows on the earth's surface and so forth. Um, but it's over pretty quick. Um, even so, you know, EMPs are generally broken down into these phases, right? So E1, E2, E3 kind of thing. E1 is, you know, over in 20 nanoseconds or something. E2 might be in the hundreds of microseconds to millisecond or so, but still, you know, much faster than the blink of an eye. And then E3 could take perhaps minutes where that's where this groundswell of energy happens on very long conductors. But in the atmosphere by then, it's all settled. All the ionization is over. So I don't, I don't think you'd get a plus or a minus from, let's say, if you shot a second EMP off 10 minutes later after the first one. I think it would be just like another fresh EMP had just happened. So I had a friend ask um, at prep camp, he goes, hey, if it, what if I am out away from the city, no electronics, how would I know an EMP went off? And my answer was, you would be able to see it. You probably wouldn't. Yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to would. see a flash? No, you probably wouldn't. Um, is it possible? Maybe, but you're talking about something that might be detonated 100 miles in the air or, or okay. a little further. So way, way up there, right? If it was night and you were fairly close to over where it happened, you might see it in the sky, a flash. But if well, you it's were not the away, first time I gave a friend wrong advice. <laughs> it wasn't the first time. Yeah. You wouldn't see it. You wouldn't hear it. You probably would not know. Uh, He's going, that's no EMP. My friend Forrest said that yeah. you would be able to see the flash and they're going to end up dying from it. Yeah. Um, please ask <laughs> oh, X class solar flare. Yeah, so the sun has a lot of things it can do to us, all right? And I always remember the prediction one day it's just going to swell up and swallow the earth. So I guess there's that. But right now, we mostly worry about solar flares and coronal mass ejections, right? And they're very different things. Solar flares are the sun emitting a, uh, radiation toward the earth, which comes down. It can pose hazards to people at very high altitudes, certainly to astronauts. They worry about solar flares. Um, we had one that... Uh, astronauts on the moon had to seek shelter because of solar flare. So you get this high energy uh, off from the sun. It travels at the speed of light. So it's not like you get a lot of warning, right? Because there's nothing that's going to warn you ahead of the speed of light travel. So these big solar flares happen. And what do they do at us on the earth? Well, fortunately, our planet protects us from solar flares. Mm -hmm. Beautiful as that is. 
So as long as you're down, you know, in the below the atmosphere, you're not going to get burned up or cause radiation damage from solar flare. What it typically does is it messes up our communication system. Then it can do so for hours and hours. And so if you're a radio operator or you're depending on GPS or, or you're depending on anything that's a satellite, it can cause damage to the satellite systems. Then these solar flares can cause you lots of problems. Um, but for us on the earth, mostly it's, you know, you guys who operate the radio, solar flares can give you some problems. I as remember preparing for them. Uh, I don't know there's a, that, that there's a great preparation for solar mm-hmm. flares. I remember when I I was on the moon and that solar flare was coming. We had to stand behind. We had to stand behind the space modular so it wouldn't hit us, and we yeah. had to wait for it to go by. So yeah, um, <laughs> any EMF concerns with solar charge controllers or inverters? Uh, yeah, so charge controllers are you know if you have a solar power generation system, the panels collect they t- turn light into electrical energy typically. Mm-hmm into DC energy, DC current, which flows down to the inverter. And the inverter job is to convert the DC into AC. And AC power is what we use in our house, right? 120 volts AC typically. So those inverters are fairly sophisticated now, and they can be damaged. They have electronics that can be damaged by an EMP. So you should have some kind of surge protection device on inverters. Charge controllers are a piece that's typically on that system too. And those are for batteries. If you have a battery backup system for your solar, they take that energy that came in off the panels and they route it down into the batteries and they control how much charge is going so that you keep the batteries efficiently topped off. Well, and I they think, also can be damaged. I think I messed up. Um, she, uh, they. Oh, EMF concerns. Um, EMF concerns. I was it's EMF four feet concerns. below her ba- their bed. Oh, got it. And uh, I, I, when they're in the bed, usually it's not the, tr- the solar panels aren't charging. So. Yeah, I, I think that I have not measured any high frequency energy coming off of inverters. They do switch. There's some switching frequencies in there, but it's in the tens or hundreds of kilohertz, which is very low frequency. Now, if you stood, if you, you know, if you took an EMF meter or a, or a Gauss meter and you went up next to a big inverter, you're going to get some peg, you're going to peg the needle because there's a lot of current flowing in there when you bring in that energy and you're charging the batteries and all that. But uh, again, this is low frequency current where it's really the magnetic fields um, that are causing problems. And those drop off very quickly in the near field. You're talking about things that drop off as like R cubed instead of R squared. So even putting, you know, short distances away from these things, even above it in the next room, you're almost certainly would have trouble even measuring it, uh, let alone being affected by it. So I wouldn't worry about it myself. Now, I wouldn't want it right beside my head, but right. I would recommend just putting tinfoil on your bed. There you go. <laughs> okay, the next one. Um, this is a great question. Thoughts on potential nuclear strikes coming from multiple countries. Do you feel, yeah. I mean, you, you we've been reading about them coming. I think they're in the air. Um, a full yeah. nuclear war. I just. Man, I'll tell you what. I, you know, when I was a kid, I remember, you know, they used to, my dad was big prepper guy. And when I was little, I remember very well, you used to get the blast maps. You could get these books that had blast maps, probable blast zones in the United States where the Russians would hit. And we would study the blast map. Now you got to think I'm crazy, but I remember this clearly. And we go, oh, we can't stay in Denver because from this so much zone is going to be the red zone where the radiation is going to kill us. So we start picking retreat areas and stuff. That has long since faded. You know, people have long since stopped worrying about that. But we live in a time right now we're probably as close to nuclear war as we have been since like the Cuban Missile Crisis or something. So mm-hmm. I think it is not a crazy thing to start really paying attention to that kind of a threat. 
Would they use an EMP first? Would an enemy use an EMP first? Maybe. It's certainly possible. Maybe. Because you could cause all kinds of mayhem and maybe take out critical systems with an EMP or two or five and then throw some nuclear weapons into it. Now, the U.S., I don't think, would be caught so flat-footed that we could not retaliate. I think mm -hmm. all our enemies know that. And so it would be mass destruction on both sides. But it doesn't mean it couldn't ever happen. Right? We are crazy people out there. Um, the next question is, he, he fried some LED lights. Um, so are LED lights more susceptible to like a, maybe a CME or to other electronic pulses? Yeah, not a CME. So a CME really only affects things that are have really long conductors, like mile okay. long conductors. So like a power grid could be taken out by a CME. That's the big problem with a CME. Okay. Not flashlights or cars or any of that. It's just not enough wire length to couple that energy. But uh, certainly LED flashlights, you know, LEDs are just diodes and diodes are solid state electronics. They could be damaged by an EMP, impulsive energy. Um, and so, yeah, they're more susceptible to the incandescent bulbs, which would require time to heat up and burn the filament. Uh, LEDs are different. You can break them down. And so, yeah, they're more susceptible to it. I always say if you're going to have a Faraday cage, you should keep some spare flashlights, uh, LED mm -hmm. flashlights in there for that reason, because I think light's a pretty critical thing. So, yeah. I don't know what the, I, he might be talking about Mountain Dew. Is it possible? No, do, D, do, is it possible? Do you know what that means? D, I do like Diet Mountain Dew. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know D, what that means. D, w. W, is it possible? Maybe he'll write know. in and specify what that means. Direct energy. I have oh, no direct idea. energy weapons. Oh, is that it? I was getting close. That was a total guess. You got it. That's because yeah. I worked for NASA. I, no, yeah. I didn't. Well, so no, I didn't. that's exactly what we were talking about. Um, and there are different categories. Of that. I mean, lasers, you could say, are direct energy weapons, right? And we use lasers mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but that's what I was talking about. And I, that's what I think of when I think of like the Havana syndrome, which is directed microwave weapons that can cause harm to human tissue. Um, the ADS, the active denial system, you could say that's a directed energy weapon, right? We're directing electromagnetic energy at people. So I think absolutely directed energy weapons are possible. Maybe not quite like we see in sci-fi movies yet, um, but certainly they are possible. Are are CME or yeah are true are solar flares getting bigger and stronger, or is just a pat no pattern? Well, so the sun is on a cycle, right? It goes through this eleven-year cycle of memory serves, and it goes through this period where it sort of you know increases and decreases in its activity. And, and they, they follow, and the sun's emissions follow that fairly well, not all the time. And so what people say is that in, beyond that, that cycle, um, about every 150 years, the sun emits a really big CME toward Earth. Now, it emits them all the time in different directions, but, you know, the sun's big and we're tiny and it has to come right across us to get us. But about every 150 years or so, it just so happens to line up, throws a big blob of plasma our direction causes this big disruption of um, our electromagnetic field, if you will. And so I, what I would say is I don't know that it's become worse or more active, but I will say we are past due for a really, really bad uh, coronal mass ejection that affects the Earth. We're past due. It's been more than 150 years since the Carrington event. And if we get a big, gigantic CME, we're going to find out who was right. All right. There are those that say the power grids are going to collapse all across the earth. And the, believe me, bad things will happen from that. 
uh, transformers will be blown out. We can't replace them. Millions are going to die. Or other people say, no, our systems are smart enough. They're going to be just fine. It's all going to be okay. We'll find out. Probably mm-hmm. in your in my lifetime, we're going to find out who is right. And let's let's hope that um, those folks who say we're all going to be fine are right. Yeah, so that brings – I remember NASA putting out a statement. Uh, I think it's in 2017 where they said that we missed a huge CME. Mm-hmm. Was that 2017 or something? Uh, yeah, Somewhere. I don't remember, but I do remember the time it happened and it just happened to not go our direction. It was gigantic. Like we missed it by like five or seven or 10 days or something like that. Yeah. And it's just a statistical thing, right? It's not like CMEs are a little different than an EMP, even though there's a lot of overlap. A CME is going to hit the earth. There's just a statistical win, right? Is it going to be today? Is it going to be 10 years from now? Whenever it's going to happen, a giant CME is going to come over the earth. We know it happens very often. Nothing we're going to do to change that. All we can do is be ready for it. Hope we understand the effects of it. And they're like the EMP commission looked at it and they're not at all convinced we're ready. They think the power grid can collapse and we're going to have all kinds of loss of life. Um, the power grid is so incredibly complex. It would be hard for me to say whether that's true or not, but my guess is we're ill-prepared and we're going to, we're going to see the effects of that. So my friend, Steve, I know Steve, great guy. He's got a question here about some life po four batteries. Mm-hmm. Would yeah. an EMP, if, if, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's got like, these are systems that are sophisticated, um, rechargeable battery systems with battery monitoring systems in them. That's that BMS stuff. And those are susceptible. They can be damaged by an EMP. Um, and so the standard practices would, you'd want to try and take, which is to try and shield them when they're not being actively used. If you have cables going in and out of those, you'd want to put ferrites on those cables. Um, what the Lee says, what about the EMFs from smart meters? Smart meter, yeah, yeah. So, that it's an area that's one of those areas where the hype got ahead of the science, I think, because people got out with their meters and they went out to their smart meter, their new fancy smart meters, which are the ones that radio signals out back to the station and everything. And they go, Holy crap, look at the energy this thing's radiating out. And they became very concerned by it, right? Mm-hmm. So I went and I did the same thing. I said, I'm going to take my $50,000 EMF meter thing, and I'm going to go out and measure these. And by golly, they do transmit very powerful EMFs out because they're mm-hmm. trying to radio energy back. They they tend, though, to be fairly directional. They're not omnidirectional in their broadcast, at least the couple that I looked at. And so they're directing away from the home as as opposed to into the kitchen where the you know you're standing there cooking or something. So the short answer is, I don't think they pose a great threat, probably not as much of a threat as using our cell phone pressed up against our ear half of the day, uh, or even sitting close to a Wi-Fi router most of the day. All right. It's a similar kind of threat to that, I think. Um, So there are people who sell various cages and stuff that go over these meters. You're going to get in trouble if you use them, I'll tell you now, because you're blocking the signal from transmitting back to the station. Um, but I just don't, I, I think it's a reasonable question to ask based on what I saw. I don't think it's that big of a concern, no more than the other sources we experienced. I don't know what has happened here. Um, my computer is frozen. You're very still. Yeah, I know. I, I <laughs> Something is going on. You are too. Can you hear me still though? Yeah, I've got you. Okay. 
Let's go to the next question. What ask what the limit of mega electronic voltage could we withstand? Yeah, I um I don't think that's quite what he intended, maybe, but I think it's asking what kind of energy levels might be harmful to us. So certainly there are different types of ways we can be hurt by electricity. We can be hurt by electrical current, which is if we touch a high voltage line, we can be hurt pretty easily. And there are lots of safety ratings on that. Certainly if you get anywhere near, you know, hundred milliamps, a half an amp, you can die from it. But I think he's talking about uh, from radiated energy and the safe number that has been put out right now is um, that you can take 10 Watts per square meter, basically continuously without causing harm to people. Um, that's sort of the number that the ICNR, NIRP puts out. IEEE puts out as 10 watts per square meter. Um, and there are other measurements people use, like specific absorption rate and so forth. So it's a okay. complicated question to answer. We'd have to take a good look at that to really fully answer that question. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pick some questions here because we're getting down. Uh, what about, okay, we just asked that question. Um, they we're so far behind. We would take us all night long. Uh, War two military jam our radios. Yeah, and I've heard also Cuba has been jamming our radios as well. Have you heard that? Is um, here uh, they've been. I, I haven't heard that. No, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, Amaron said they were um, some of our like HF signals or whatever. But I don't see why they would do that. So let's keep going on questions here. Um. I'll, ask, I'll answer um, Key Val's question. It says, can you tell us the site for the gadget and Faraday cages and stuff? So the little gadget thing that I talked about earlier, that's this EMF beacon, is at emfbeacon.com. You showed that. Um, for anything EMP related, uh, go to disasterpreparer.com. There's a lot oh, of do I have that in your profile? Uh, yeah, right there. Yeah, there it is. There's, the, there's actually his YouTube channel. He is the EMP doctor. And then his his website is disasterpreparer.com. So, okay, awesome. We'll leave that there so people can. Uh, does microwave offer any protection? I guess as a Faraday cage, I, I would say yeah, it does. Yep. Mm -hmm. It does. It's not designed for EMP frequencies, but it still does a pretty good job of protecting electronics. Oh, you oh you you just answered this one, um, the site. Uh, what's the best Faraday equipment you can buy for – I remember you did it like out of a plastic tub and tinfoil. Is that, you know? Yeah, you can make, I mean, you can buy super expensive Faraday cages that are pre-built, but you can make them out of a galvanized metal garbage can for, you know, 30 bucks or something. You can use a plastic tub with aluminum foil for even less than that. It doesn't have to be overly expensive uh, to make an effective Faraday cage. Remember, you don't need really thick metal. Even a heavy-duty aluminum foil is probably thick enough. Certainly two layers is plenty thick enough. So you don't need like really thick metal to do it. Oh, that brings up another question. I've been asked this question and I know you, you've probably know the answer and probably um, sometimes I've taken my phone and put it in a Faraday bag and it still works. Especially yeah. So let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, I will tell you in terms of Faraday equipment to buy, go to, you can go to FaradayDefense.com. Um, I work for them to do some consulting for them, some contract work for them, but they make great Faraday bags, all right, like high quality bags. They're not okay. cheap, but they're really nice and you'd be happy with the product quality. But how come you can have a Faraday cage and stick your phone in there and the dang thing still rings, right? right. 
And it's pretty simple, really. And the answer is that to block a cell phone signal, you have to have some level of shielding. And that's dependent on how strong the signal is, of course, and how sensitive the phone is, right? And it can be as little shielding as maybe 40 or 50 dB, and it will block it, depending if it's a weak signal, that might block it. But if you've got a really strong cell phone signal, it might take 90 dB, 80 to 100 dB to block it. And most Faraday cages won't give you that high, right? Most of them give you about 60. And that's enough for an EMP to protect from an EMP, but it might not be enough to fully block a cell phone signal because remember, cell phones are designed to take the tiniest bits of wisps of energy and still turn it into something you can hear. So they've got the antenna systems optimized for that. So it's difficult to block cell phones and it's very dependent on the strength of the signal. Now, if you really want a hard thing to block, try blocking close range two-way radios because a close range two-way radio takes about 130 dB to block. You can do it, but it usually takes multi-layers of Faraday cages to block it. So it's very difficult. Awesome. Yeah, because um, everyone's done that test. They go, what? My Faraday yeah. cage doesn't work. My phone still works. And I'm like, well, that's that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really a good test because, you're, again, you're not trying to block an EMP. Good luck blocking an EMP. You're just trying to protect from an EMP, right? You're just trying to keep it from damaging anything. So you're trying to reduce its level down enough that it won't cause damage. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, um, please tell us how to get these the the tinfoil hat. Uh, you only have one left, really? Yeah, but I got some more coming. If people want them, they can shoot me a note and say, hey, I want one. Just hit the okay. contact button, and I'll pre-order them so we'll get enough for everybody. And tell us how to get the little doodad. Um, yeah, EMF Beacons. You can go to emfbeacon.com. That's my, that's my neato gadget that I invented. Uh, I don't know how long they'll be around, but they're they're pretty cool. Are they, is it, is it linked from disasterpreparedner.com at all? No, no. Okay. It's just uh, my own little EMF beacon site. Okay. <clears throat> all the and, products though are at disasterpreparedner.com. Faraday, yeah. Tell us, tell us what you have there. Cause I know you have ferrites and yeah, have- there's a bunch of stuff. Um, some things I've invented there. I invented a device you plug into the wall that will detect when an EMP occurs. Um, I've, I've invented uh, little transient protection devices that go in cars. I, we sell ferrites and bags and solar power generation protection equipment. There's a lot of things on there. Um, and there's some information too, that's, that's probably useful to look at. So that's on disasterrepair.com. It's heavily focused on EMP protection. And your YouTube channel, you do a lot of testing. I remember it was like you're in this chambers first. It was like the one of the first times I've, I saw your video and you're putting in doing a trash can or something. Yeah. I was in a big shield room, which is one oh. of the rooms that are, you know, you conduct RF experiments since so you don't broadcast that energy out and you're not. You just have one of them in your house. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> But I, but I was in a big shield room and I love to test stuff because I hate for people to tell me something and me not really be sure. So I put them to the test. I try it out and I see what works and what doesn't work. And I try and share the results as, and sometimes I have to dumb it down a little bit because people other I see, you know, you're not gonna follow what I'm saying, but I try and put it in a way people can understand that this does work to this level. And uh, I try and make recommendations based on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've got actually, if you go here, bigger, I made it bigger so everybody can see that. And the beacon again is one more time, and then, um, yeah. we will it's it's emfbeacon.com. If you show the picture of it, it's on the side of it. What it's oh, is it okay? Yeah. Let me go, yeah. So the little name on the side, emf beacons, you just type emfbeacon.com, it'll pop right up. Um, uh, 
Com. Okay. And you said they're ninety eight dollars. No, no, they're thirty nine. But watch the video if you really think about getting one. Watch the video so you, I test them out and I show what they do. And they're really, you know, they're a curiosity. But it's it is an engineering marvel. Even if you even if you can't appreciate it, it's an engineering marvel. I got one more question, and we're yeah. going to let you go because um, this is: Are there foods we can eat to protect ourselves? Yes, steaks and meat. <laughs> Yeah, I hear my wife tell it. You're right. <laughs> so I don't think, I think the answer to that is no. So, no, not from EMFs. I'm not aware of any food effects on your protection. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to, I will, this will go into a podcast as well. And people around the world will be able to hear this. <laughs> All right. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. And thank you. For, I mean, you're, I mean, gosh, it's been years since I've interviewed you. Um, but Thank you for getting the word out and setting things straight because, because every book, the EMP destroys the world, which is more than likely going to happen. But at least we know, you know, my tractor is going to work on my farm. Yeah, there you um, go. And so, but thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for what you do in our, in our community, the preparedness and, and the little devices and the inventions you're making and um thanks for helping us our satellites to work i wouldn't be able to watch tv i mean just helping you know expand the technology and protect them so thank you for everything you do thanks a lot for us and thank you good hey guys um next weekend is we're going to have selco on so um make sure you join us um for that and we will um thanks for listening to the prepping academy podcast Preppers unite at www.preppingacademy.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com.